As we continue our exposition through this, uh, the Lord's Prayer, the High Priestly Prayer, as it, it's called, is really the Lord's Prayer. As we continue to uh, to dig in a little bit on this uh, on this prayer, one of a kind prayers. This morning we will focus on verses thirteen through twenty one. I will read all thirteen through twenty one, though. Our, really focus in on 13 through 19, but I want to read all of those verses to kind of put it before you this morning. So John chapter 17, verses 13 through 21. And God's inspired and inerrant word reads, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, Father, we would just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And Father, as we take the next half hour or so and we uh, study, had some thoughts, had some commentary to your prayer. Father, would uh, your spirit lead, guide, direct, and illuminate this text for us? Father, would you search our hearts and our minds? Father, would you control the words that are heard, that are spoken, uh, that in all that is said and done here um, would bring you honor and would bring you glory, even as you yourself uh, surrendered yourself to the glory of the Father. So also, Lord, we want to surrender ourselves to you for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I have titled this this morning, On Purpose, For a Purpose. And in this prayer, Jesus' prayer to the Father was powerful and on purpose. Jesus wanted his disciples and us to hear this prayer to the Father. And so in this portion of Jesus' prayer, we will hear a prayer for consummation, a prayer for preservation, a prayer for sanctification, and a prayer for deliberation. Consummation, preservation, sanctification, and deliberation. And of course, we will start with verse 13, where we see a prayer for consummation. And Jesus is now returning from where he came. He is returning to the Father. He has finished the work the Father has given Him to do. He has spoken the words the Father gave Him to speak. Jesus did so, so that they, His disciples, and all who will come to believe may have joy. This is not just any joy, but a joy of consummation, a joy of completion, a joy of fulfillment is the joy that Jesus is referencing and praying for here in this verse. And when the angels announced to the shepherds the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, they said, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. 
Now this is the coming of Jesus. Jesus left the Father and came to bring consummation to the relationship which was started at the creation of the world. And this relationship was broken in the garden when man and woman rebelled against God. And this brokenness has been handed down to all their offspring. We are born with a sin nature. This is what theologians would call original sin. And this sin has infected every part of humanity. This infection of sin, this corruption to the human condition, theologians also call this total depravity. Though I don't know that I would want to use total because total has a, has a sense, has a ring of utter to it. Has a, has a sense of total and absolute corrupt. And while we are all infected by this sin, I think each and every one of us agree that all those created in the image of God, which is every single one of us, there is some good within us, is there not? Even some of the, some of the worst people. Now, often Hitler is put up here and held high as the worst human being, and, and certainly uh, we could probably go along with that. But even so, his mother, I'm sure, thought there was some good within the boy. I would certainly hope so. And so as we think of what is being spoken here of, we can be misguided, we can be led astray if we think that total depravity means there's nothing good about us. Not at all. That's really the problem because we do acknowledge and we do realize that I have good within me. You have good within you. And that we understand. It has been said that we are not sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we are sinners. And this... We must understand, we cannot help ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. And this Savior, the Savior, is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Savior who was first announced by the angels as they kept watch over their flocks by night. As Jesus grew up on purpose and for a purpose, he was tested by the devil in the wilderness. And after this time of testing, Jesus went home, went back to Nazareth, and He became a preacher. As I've heard someone say, God only had one son, and He made him a preacher. And we see the first sermon that Jesus ever preached was in His own hometown synagogue. And it came from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the Gospel. To preach the Gospel. It is this Word that we see here that Jesus is saying to the Father, Father, I gave them Your Word. This is the Gospel. I gave them Your Word and they have come to realize, they have come to know, they have come to accept that this Word is from You. This is the Gospel. This is the good news that Jesus has preached, has given them. This is the Word He has spoken to them and to the world when Jesus here is saying, I have given them Your Word. It is complete. It is done. I now come back to you. How is this joy consummated? As we think about completion, fulfillment. We see here in verse 13, um, I might just read it once more for you. But I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. This joy, we think of it in our English terms. Certainly it's a, it's a state of happiness. It's not. It's a state of uh, of joy, right? That's how we use it. But the sense that Jesus is saying here as we continue to read that text is my joy has been made full. 
It is complete. It is finished. It is consummated. That's the right word to use here in that sense. But how has he, he done this here? The they Jesus is referring to here when it says, but now, but, but that they may have their joy made full, that they Jesus is referencing are those whom the Father has given the Son. And this joy is made full. It is complete. It is consummated in at least three ways. And I'll only give you three ways just really quickly for those who are note takers. And, and, and the first is, you know, obviously by Jesus giving his life, by shedding his blood. He done the work. He made the atonement that he needed to make, that needed to be made on behalf of humanity because of that original sin that I spoke of earlier. So it took Jesus to rectify that, to, to reconcile us to the Father. And so by Jesus giving his life was one way that he makes this joy complete. And the second is by revealing himself after his resurrection. He revealed himself that he indeed is who he said he was. He's not just another criminal hanging upon the cross and buried. No, he rose again, defeated evil. Sure, he defeated death, but what put him there? Evil. And by his rising from the grave, he then defeated evil. And in this way, he was also completing the joy in his disciples because there is a hope, right? Death isn't does not have the last say. It doesn't have the last answer, does it? No. And Jesus first demonstrated that us uh, to us so that we too can take joy in that. And then the third is by sending another helper, by sending another comforter as he left. And he was going to leave the disciples and they're thinking, wow, I left all. I'm going to be left here hanging on my own. Jesus says, no, I'll send you another helper. I'll send you another comfort. And it is the Spirit. And in these three ways, there, there, there's many others, but three's enough for you to get the point, right? Three's enough. So Jesus has given his life for our behalf, on our behalf. He's risen and defeated the grave by defeating evil. And he sent us the Holy Spirit as our guide, as our leader. And it is in these ways that Jesus is now saying here in the 13th verse that my joy is now made full in them in themselves. In verse 14 through 16, we see where Jesus now prays for, for uh, uh, preservation. He prays to keep them. You see that in verse 15. But keep them from the evil one, he says. The world here is that which is hostile to God. Wholly at odds with anything divine. The world, the system of the world, is ruined, and it is totally depraved as we think about the evil one. And that's what Jesus is speaking of here when you think of, of the world. Jesus came for the world, for the people of the world, and yet not everyone of the world does accept Jesus. In John chapter 4, verse 42, where Jesus, or where, uh, where Jesus uh, did his first uh, revealing signs, of, uh, signs right? And there where he was speaking with the woman at the well. And as he spoke with the woman at the well and revealed who he was to her by revealing her past to her that she already knew about, but how did Jesus know about it? And she went into the city and she told everyone, come and see, I believe I've found the Messiah. And as Jesus spoke with them, they said they had this to say. They said, it is no longer because of what you said. It is no longer because of the, 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 the words that, that the lady here had, had 
had, had uh, told them. But no, we heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed what? The Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Jesus came for the world. 2 Corinthians 5.19 God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Jesus came for the world. John, 1 John, uh, not the Gospel, but the Epistle. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. John says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. See, this is the dilemma. This is, our, this is the quagmire we find ourselves in. We are in the world, and Jesus says we are in the world, but you are not part of the world. The world uh, does not accept Jesus, uh, though He came for the whole world. But again, I want you to notice as Jesus prays for, for preservation, that there is a specific group that Jesus has in mind. As we think about it here in verse uh, 14, it says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus has a specific group of people in mind here. The them of verse 14 is the they of verse 13, and the men you gave me out of the world of, of verse 6, and ultimately the those of verse 20 that come to believe. You can follow this pattern as Jesus prays for His followers here in this high priestly prayer. Jesus says that you gave them to me. I have protected them. I have kept them. I have sanctified them. I have come over that. I want to go back just a little bit. Um, I want to go to Acts chapter 13 um, and verse 48. Acts chapter 14, 48, um, where Paul and Barnabas... Uh, uh, or, or Paul, he turns to the Gentile people because, because the, 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 the Jews no longer accepted, accepted the message that he was, he was preaching. And so Paul says, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to go off to the Gentiles. He goes off to the Gentiles, and Paul and Barnabas do. And, and they're excited. The Gentiles are happy that he came. And in verse 48, he said, this is the response that the Gentiles had to the word, to the message, to the gospel. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, they did believe. This is the work of Jesus. Those the Father has given to Jesus will come and will turn to Jesus. Jesus has prayed for them. Jesus has kept them. But why? But, but why does the world hate the followers of Jesus? Jesus is going to circle back. He does circle back. And in 15, 19, John chapter 15, 19, it says, if you were of the world, Jesus says, the world would love its own. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. And so the world hates the followers of Jesus because the, G, because the world hates Jesus, right? And so as long as Jesus was with them, this is what Jesus is telling the disciples, as long as Jesus was there, Jesus was the target, right? They could focus all their energies upon Him. But now that He's leaving and going back to the Father, the world is going to turn their anger, their wrath, their hatred on the followers of the shepherd. Going to turn on to Jesus, 
The world hates, G- hates the followers of Jesus because the world hates Jesus. So it's strictly guilt by association is why the world hates us. But why did or does the world hate Jesus? Why do they hate Jesus so much? Some would want to say that because of the radical love of Jesus and how Jesus came for the whole world. Now, obviously, there is something to be said for that, right? I mean, I mean, of course, because of the radical love that Jesus had, that could cause a person, person to, to hate. But Jesus was not killed by his radical love. Did anybody say, did the Pharisees, uh, did the Jewish leaders, <clears throat> did any of them say, well, we're going to dispatch of Jesus because he just loves too much? Is that what they said? No, that's not at all what they said. They said because he is blaspheming God. Because he is making himself out to be God. He's making himself out as supreme authority, as having all power. Jesus was messing with the power structure of the day. And listen, my friends, that's exactly why the world will hate us also. Because Caesar is not king. The president is not king. The leaders, world rulers of the world are not the king. They do not have the final say. We don't march to their beat. And for that, the world will not care for us either. The claim of deity of supreme power challenged their power structure. And anytime those with power feel threatened, not a whole lot of good is going to come from that. Not much has changed today, though, has it? The loving Jesus is acceptable. We all like that radical love of Jesus. That Jesus is acceptable. But the Jesus that interferes with my life, you're not welcome here. That is what will cause the wrath of the world to come against us as Christians. Christians today are tolerated. We as a group of people, we are tolerated to a certain point. But that is quickly changing. More and more and more, the core teachings of Jesus, the very tenets of our faith, are under attack. Listen, our views on life, our views on gender, our views on marriage, all are under attack. Listen to the news. See what's happening. The world hates us because of our association, because of the teachings of Jesus. The radical love of Jesus will always be accepted. But to get in line, as Kenny already said, right, it's by doing. And if we follow the teachings of Jesus, we will come under attack. Just as Jesus is praying here for the disciples, as he's leaving, he knows what's going to come. And that's why he prays this prayer of preservation for them. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 9 and 13, it says, They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Look at verse 15. What does Jesus pray? I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them, but that you protect them, but that you preserve them that you build security around them from the evil one, from the evil ways. Now, do you think that Jesus' prayers get answered? I would think Jesus' prayers do get answered. So if Jesus is praying to keep us, to protect us from the evil, don't you think that that is exactly and indeed what will and is happening? 
And yet we have a job to do. Jesus doesn't take us out of the world. He says, I don't ask you to take them out, but I ask that you protect them. We are to be influencers. We are to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus. Well, we could spend a lot of time right there, but we'll move on to a prayer for sanctification in verses 16 through 19. We have a prayer for sanctification. And that is just a sense of to cause someone to have the quality of holiness to set apart, to uphold, to continue to purify, to continue to to dedicate, to consecrate oneself, to set aside, to set apart on behalf of another. That's all sanctification is. We are set apart for God. In verse 17, we see the means of sanctification where Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, your truth or your word is truth. This is the means of sanctification that we see here. This is the means of holiness. How, how, how do we know? How do we, how do we continue to grow in Christ? Jesus says right here, your word is truth. That is how in Psalm 19, 119 verse 9 and 11, the psalmist writes this. He says, how can a young man? This is one you've probably memorized to heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I will not what? That I will not sin against you. This is how we sanctify in truth. Your word is truth. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. You know, I'm always struck by this for some reason. Um, You know, we're Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, what must have the journey been like for her as she raised a son? I mean, I, I, you know, we had three sons up here. I can't imagine what it was like to raise three of those two at the same time at that. But nonetheless, uh, you know, what would it have been like for Mary to raise Jesus? And in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us that Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. Often as Jesus said something, said some of the things that he said, did some of the things that he did, like teaching at the temple as a, as a little kid. And, and as, Jesus, as Jesus made comments like, well, my time is not yet here. These things haven't yet happened. These things haven't yet come. Often the biblical text records for us that Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, now I, I understand I may be taking some liberties with the text here, and so I, I want to be careful, but how did Mary, the mother of Jesus, get through those difficult days. I mean, think about that. You have a son that's constantly under attack, constantly trying to be killed and ultimately killed one of the worst ways and made the worst spectacle that could be, could be made. How, how did Mary get through those dark moments and those dark times? I think it's right here. I think that's what the Scripture is telling us because she had observed, because she had she watched. She listened to the things that Jesus said and she kept those close to her heart. She pondered those things. And as these scenes started to unfold, how did she know? How could she understand? I don't think she necessarily understood it all. But yet, she, she had those words and those actions of Jesus and she pondered them in her heart. She kept them close. That when those things happened, she had something to draw back on. And, and you know, uh, obviously what a great application for us, is it not? And we too have difficult times. We too have times in our life where we don't know how to get through them. Or we don't know what lies ahead or we can't make sense of what's going on. 
And yet we too have the promises of Jesus. And we have this very promise here today in our verse right here in 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them. Jesus has prayed for us. Those are the ways that we take to remembrance and that we ponder those things in our heart. Listen, justification is once, right? We are saved one time, but sanctification is a lifetime of progress, is a lifetime of work. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, where Paul can't quite decide if he's talking about the church, talking about a bride, a bride or what he's talking about when he says this, sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. That's what Paul's, that's how the church, that's how the individuals, that's how people are kept pure and kept sanctified through his word. Just as Jesus says, your word is truth. Verse 17, the means of sanctification, 18 and 19, the purpose of sanctification. There's a purpose for this sanctification and we see it in verses 18 and 19. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also be sanctified in truth. So the Son, so as Jesus was sent into the world, we too. He too is sending us into the world on purpose and for a purpose. The Son, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, Jesus set Himself apart to bring the words of eternal life and to make atonement on behalf of those given to Him by the Father. The, father, the followers of Jesus, we too have been set apart. We too have a job to do. We too must dedicate ourselves to the mission of God, to bring the good news, to bring the word of Jesus to a dying world. The only thing this world needs is Christ. And finally, and just briefly, and I will pick this up again next, next week, uh, but I do want to touch on it just a little bit because it really belongs with next week. But, but nonetheless, and that is fourth, here is we see how Jesus prays and what he prays for. Here he prays for deliberation. Deliberation that the world may believe, it says in verse 21, you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And I, and I chose the word deliberation simply because it, it worked. <laughs> But, but also because that is really where it's at, right? It, it's we have His Word. We have these facts. We have these things before us called Scriptures, right? And called the evidences of them that we too must deliberate through them. We too have the information that we need that is before us for us to make a decision on is Jesus truly the Messiah? Is Jesus truly someone who I will surrender my life to? Not just the Jesus of the loving Jesus that we often think of, the accepted Jesus, oh, everything's fine, it's the loving Jesus, but also His teachings, even the hard ones. We too must deliberate through those things. And that's what Jesus says is our purpose is that we can show and that we can live and that we can teach and that we can preach and that we can model so that the world that hates Jesus may come to realize that no, Jesus really is my friend. In John chapter, verse, in John chapter 20, verse 31. Again, I put before you uh, why John says he wrote this gospel. These things I have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and what? And that by believing, you can have eternal life. This is our purpose also, 
that Jesus is leaving with us in this very prayer to His Father. Hey, in a world of, of mass confusion and deception, deception does come very easy. I want to go to Second Peter just, just really briefly. I want to preach on this chapter sometime, but I'll just give you the outline. It's in Second Peter chapter two, verses one to three, as we think about the false prophets, the false teachers that were constantly warned about. Peter here, as he writes this, he says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Verse 2, we see that they denied the Master. They're denying the teachings of Jesus. This is what false prophets do. This is what false teachers do. Verse 2, it talks about they follow after their sensuality. They follow after their feelings. False teachers want to put before you and they want to play on your feelings, right? We all have feelings. We all want to follow our good feelings, right? Who doesn't? But false teachers play on those things, Peter tells us in verse 2. And in verse 3, he says they're controlled by greed, by the materialism, right? I mean, I don't have to go too far into that, do I? I mean, false teachers will tell us that, that we too can be materialistic and we too can have the material things that we all want in this world. I know they're saying about a house of gold, but I don't know. I wouldn't mind a house of gold. I'm not sure what I would do with it. I can't imagine it being comfortable, but I'd just sell it. Maybe get some Bitcoin or something. But, you know, what, what do we, this is the material things that false teachers will tell us. And this is what Jesus, or this is what Peter is warning about in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. And listen, Peter was there as Jesus was praying this prayer. He heard these things as Jesus prayed to bring consummation to the disciples, to bring preservation, to keep them and protect them to sanctify them, and finally, the deliberation. He gave us the information we need. We have everything we need to make a good decision, to make a good choice. Listen, we have been created on purpose and for a purpose. And Kenny, I like the model of that, that, that shovel. I'd like to find a shovel that I could lean on and just pray and it would dig a hole for me. But we have the shovel. <laughs> we can't, right? We have the shovel, but we must dig the hole. We must say, that's what Jesus left us. Listen, he gave us, right? He's protected us. He secured us. He saved us. Now, the purpose for that was that we can go and spread that to the world so that the world may believe. That is your mission, Christian. That is our mission. Sometimes we can get so focused upon, are we saved or aren't we saved? Or are we always saved? Or are we elected? Or are we... For we can get so lost in those weeds that we miss the whole purpose for Jesus' saving. However you came to believe, we can't stop there. He's left us with a purpose. He saved us on purpose and for a purpose. As we see Jesus' own life, He came for a purpose and on purpose also. And we too must follow that example He's left for us. Father, I ask a blessing upon the reading of, or upon this, these words that have been spoken. And Father, as we uh, think about uh, Your prayer, <clears throat> as we think about how you prayed for us and how you prayed your protection over us, how you prayed to keep us safe, to keep us secure. And Father, we know that the Father hears the prayers of the Son. And so we thank you uh, for, that, uh, for, that, for that prayer. And Father, as we think beyond that prayer, as we think about beyond ourselves, what you have done on our behalf, and Father, you have given us a mission. You have given us a purpose 
to go into a world that isn't always welcoming, that isn't always inviting. But the people of the world, they're not our enemy. They're, they're not at all. They, they, they too need your words. They too need your gospel. They too need the, the love of Jesus shared to them. And so, Father, I pray that as we leave from this place, as we go into the workplace, wherever next week may take us, Father, may we always keep that before us and know that some of those interactions that we have that don't always go so well, that this is also a person that, that may be hurting because they too, they are without you. And so, Father, I pray this morning as you search our hearts and minds that you would uh, solidify the mission, the purpose that you have given for us each one of us as individuals, and then corporately also as a church. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.